Welcome to Patriots Perspective. And to introduce my guest today, I'm going to go with the same intro that I gave him the last time that he joined us, which was shortly after the Patriots lost to the Texans. And that is to say that we are down a Kyles, but we have gained a Perry. Taylor had to tend to a personal matter, but don't worry. Everything is all good with him. He just couldn't be here for this particular episode. But Phil Perry, one of the best in the business from NBC Sports Boston, a good friend of the program, is here with us. Phil, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, Bobby. I feel bad. I continue I continue to miss your tremendous uh, co-host here, but uh, I will do my best to pick up the slack. Yeah, I don't know why he's ducking you, but he's acting like, you owe, like he owes you money right now. But uh, we'll, we'll carry the load for him. And so let's start with just a general overview and get your perspective on the state of the Patriots right now. And so, of course, naturally, we go to the biggest storyline being Jared Stidham stepping in for Tom Brady. What are your expectations for him this season, especially with the chaos that this offseason has been forced to deal with? Yeah, well, it's really hard to know what you're going to get from somebody who just has not played and seen real NFL action, right? It's, it's impossible to say. I think even the Patriots would tell you as much time as they've spent with him over the course of the last year, as much as they like him, as much as they know he's put in all the work that they've asked him to put in, uh, as much as I think his character would, would indicate. And this is, you know, just from talking to people and from getting a chance to, to know Jared a little bit myself last year and just kind of figure out, try to at least what makes him tick. I, I think there's a lot of promise there on all fronts. But you just don't know until the guy actually has to play and play consistently in game situations. So here's what I would say, though, on the positive side for Stidham is I think he is physically talented enough and I think he's smart enough to be able to run a scheme that could really accentuate his skill set, that could really help boost the overall numbers to this Patriots offense Will they be better than what they were last year with Tom Brady? I don't know. Could they get close to some of those numbers? I think they could. I think a lot of it um, is out of Stidham's hands, honestly, in some regards, in that they really need this running game to be effective. And if the running game can be effective, and I think it has a good chance to be with the offensive line being healthier than it was last year, then that's going to open up the world for Jared Stidham. And play action is going to make life easier for him. You're going to be able to move the pocket a little bit. You're going to be able to run some bootleg stuff that I think really fits what he does well and, and fits his athletic profile. So there are a lot of things in play, obviously, that will dictate how good this Patriots offense is. Whether or not Jared Stidham can make the throws under pressure and do it consistently, again, we don't know that. Uh, and that'll be a big factor. But we know they have good coaching. We know they have a good offensive line when healthy. And we know that the system around him will be built around him in such a way that they won't ask him to do anything he can't do. They're not going to ask him to be the supercomputer Tom Brady type of quarterback. But I think they could ask him to do some of the things that guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins do. And we've seen those guys turn themselves into, at least statistically, top 10, borderline top 10 quarterbacks. Uh and I don't know if it all clicked for Stidham that way right away, but I think there's no doubt, at least as far as I'm concerned, and I'm, I'm more on the Jared Stidham bandwagon than most. But as far as I'm concerned, I think physically he has whatever you need to run that kind of offense, that style offense. And I think the Patriots can be an effective offense if all clicks in that type of scheme with this quarterback. 
Yeah, Phil, I'm in the Jared Stidham support camp as well. I'm also, sometimes I feel like it gets lonely on Nikhil Harry Island, but I'm firmly planted over there. And we see him right now working out this offseason with Rashad Whitfield and former Patriots tight end Dwayne Allen's brother, Justin Allen, two movement gurus. And so just as you talk about Josh McDaniels tailoring this offense to maximize Jared Stidham and make him feel comfortable, I think the same will be true for Nikhil Harry now that those two have had more time together going through a rookie season, even though, of course, Harry missed a good chunk of it. And so I'm curious to get your reaction. Something I've talked about, quite frankly, ad nauseum on this show, is that with Nikhil Harry, I don't think it's best suited for him or the offense to line him up most of the time over at the X out wide, but rather use him as the chess piece that he's meant to be. Move him around, get him going on slot fade routes, for example. Send him down the seam almost like a tight end. And then, of course, when you do line him outside, You've got opportunities to move the chains with back shoulder throws on third downs, take advantage of his athleticism in the red zone. And as you get closer to the end zone and then the quick hitters as well, where he can be so lethal. Yeah, I think that you're right. You're, you're right on the money there, Bobby. I, I look at Nikhil Harry and I say to myself, okay, what does he do? Well, again, this is what the Patriots coaching staff does with its players. And I think they started to figure out towards the end of last season, what he does do well. Um, and it's a lot of the stuff he did well at Arizona State. So, you know, there were signs there, and the Patriots, I'm sure, had an idea that he's the kind of guy where you just want to get the ball in his hands. It almost doesn't matter how far down the field that happens, uh, but allow him to make plays with his size, with his athleticism. Those things are rare, at least the combination that he has of those two things. And you talk about the explosive movement ability, uh, the 30 pounds uh, or thereabouts. You know, that's rare. It's, you don't find a lot of those types of guys lying around. And so whether it's end-around handoffs, whether it's throwback types of plays, um, you know, I think anything where you get him catching and running, I, I think you could really see an effective and an impactful Nikhil Harry. I look at Debo Samuel, which is somebody that the Patriots and Patriots fans, you know, um, you know I think the Patriots certainly had interest in him. I know Patriots fans had interest in Debo Samuel ahead of that draft as well. Obviously, they let him go in favor of Nikhil Harry. But you look at how he's used in that Shanahan offense. And again, I already brought up Jimmy Garoppolo and the movement of the, the moving the pocket, um, the rollout types of plays, the play action impacts that can be had on a quarterback and how much that can be helpful to a young quarterback. Somebody like Debo Samuel, if I'm the Patriots, I would be looking at him and saying, OK, look at all the different ways they use this guy. Why can't Nikhil Harry do these same things? Uh, he is, they're not that far off athletically. Um, and I would say Nikhil Harry, in some cases, might even be a little, little bit more explosive. You know, when you look at some of the jumps and the suddenness that, that he showed athletically, there's a lot that he can do. And so I think you, you put as much on his plate as he can handle. You want to give him too much. But if it's lining him up in the backfield, if it's giving him a handoff on an end around, if it's setting up screens for the guy, Use his physical talents to your advantage. And I think there's a blueprint out there already for, for a guy like Nikhil Harry. I think it's in San Francisco, and I wonder if we start to see more of that in 2020. Phil, you've also done a great job covering the tight end position for the Patriots, and Taylor and I did a show dedicated to that as well. And so that's another spot where the Patriots can look to Kyle Shanahan and how he utilized George Kittle and Kyle Juchek in conjunction with one another. And so it's hard to project, especially this offseason, 
how quickly Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene are going to be ready to step up and be a big part of this offense. But I think that at least over time, if not right away, those two, and to a lesser extent, Dan Vitale as well, can really come in here and help make life easier on Jared Stidham and allow the Patriots to win and move the ball effectively and efficiently by creating mismatches, getting defenses stuck on the field with heavier personnel and then throwing against them and just being able to win with some of the deception akin to what Kyle Shanahan has done in San Francisco. Yeah, I think that's going to be massive to what the Patriots do this year because I think when you're looking at overall physical talent, just talking about Nikhil Harry's physical skill set, and and I think it's impressive, and I do expect him to do a lot more this coming season. But overall, you're not looking at this team and this offense as necessarily a collection of blue-chip players, and that includes uh, the tight ends that they drafted. Now, Devin Asiasi, I think, when you're talking about physical skill set, he might have had more promise anyone in this year's draft class from the people that I've spoken to, uh, both as a blocker and as Deaver. Folks, I don't know if you can hear Phil right now. Personally, I lost him. He's not a, on my screen, but what he was saying there is, is spot on. And I know I kind of led him into that answer. But if you're looking for how the Patriots are going to utilize Dalton Keene specifically, I think what you can expect is where they're going to move him back and forth between fullback and tight end, because when he's on the field, especially with Asiasi, he allows them to toggle back and forth between 12 personnel when you have two tight ends and one running back and two running backs and one tight end when you flip it over to 21 without substituting. So again, that's such a huge part of being able to create mismatches and then just finding opportunities to get him even more so than Asiasi the ball with room to run after the catch. So you can look to San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan to stick with this theme here of running misdirection plays where, for example, perhaps Asiasi and Keen line up next to each other at the end of the line and you run a play action fake that gets everyone moving one way and you send Dalton Keene back flowing the opposite direction and get him the ball with space to at least pick up the first down, if not more. So that that's one of those areas where I like to see it now that we have Phil back, Phil, I'm sorry that, that you got cut off there. You know, obviously the, the technical gods are not with us, I guess you could say, but now that you're back here, if you want to wrap up that, that thought, that's totally fine. And if you feel like you're all good on it, then we can keep it pushing. So what I'll give you is an opportunity to start with that. If you'd like to in conjunction with another question. And that is one that I'm curious about the Patriots yet to work out a contract with Joe Tooney, who they franchise tagged. And so this offensive line, it's such a huge part of not only giving Stidham time to get comfortable when he drops back to pass, but Sony Michelle trying to return to form. So do you think that they will, in fact, come to terms with Joe Tooney on an extension? So I would just say this about the tight end conversation. I think the one big advantage that the Patriots will have now that they didn't have last year with Ryan Izzo and Matt Lacoste sort of leading the charge in the running game um, and I, I, it can't be neglected. I know, you know, the run and it's, it's just not as efficient as, as the pass. It's not, but when you look at some of these offenses, whether it's Minnesota or San Francisco or LA, so much is predicated on that running game that if it's not working again, there are numbers that would suggest it doesn't matter whether or not the running game works. You can still use play action. And I believe in those numbers and I believe linebackers still bite on those fakes and create open windows. But if it's, but if it is working, I think play action works better. Uh, And so 
what they have now in two, I would say, certainly capable and NFL quality tight ends, which they did not have, in my opinion, last year. Matt Lacoste was hurt, so maybe that's not fair to him, and maybe we'll see a better Matt Lacoste this year. But you have the ability to run those those stretch plays, those wide zone runs that are really predicated on what the tight end does. Can the tight end handle his responsibility, whether he's reaching the defensive end or the outside linebacker or whoever it is that's his responsibility, whether he's getting outside and hooking that guy and allowing the back to go outside, or whether he is driving him to the sideline with a defender that's flowing and throwing him out the club, a la Rob Gronkowski, you know, you have to do one of those two things to make that type of play work. The Patriots did not have tight ends that could do either last year. Through the first month of the season, I tracked it outside zone types of runs. They were averaging essentially a yard per carry on those, one yard per carry. A lot of negative runs in there. It was almost, they were right around 20 of those types of runs. So it wasn't like they were running, um, you know, 10 of them a game, but they were trying to run about five of them a game and it wasn't working. And it wasn't working, I think, in large part because the tight ends weren't working. So once you have that, if these guys can block, and we think they can, they're two of the better run-blocking tight ends that were in this draft at that position, that should open up more. And we know, again, I think the offensive line is good. They should be able to handle their responsibilities. But you need somebody on the edge who can set that edge. We always talk about that on the defensive side, defensive ends and outside linebackers setting the edge against the run. You have to be able to offensively set the edge to make things work with that style of running game. And so now they have that. And I think that's critical. So I think that'll open up a lot. As far as Tooney goes, I think it's a really interesting conversation, Bobby, because I think I think Joe Tooney had the right idea in signing his franchise tender really quickly when he did, right? So he goes and he signs it, and he's going to be paid like a left tackle for one year. He's one of the most durable players, not only on the offensive line, but in football. And so he's probably not going to get hurt, probably, in his mind. That's how he looks at it and says, you know what, let's, let's go. Let's take the $15 million this year. Then I'm setting myself up for a contract negotiation next offseason where now that we have the CBA done as players, we should be able to see a lot of money flowing into the league. The CBA is done. That means the TV networks should be more comfortable re-upping their deals. That means more money. Always means more money. People still want to watch football. So that means a better salary cap, a higher salary cap. That means more money for me and for every team and every player, really, next offseason. So I think he played it great. The one thing that maybe he didn't account for was the fact that we were going to be in a global pandemic. And you can't blame the guy because now it looks like the cap may go down. And his deal won't be the kind of deal that maybe we anticipated him getting a few months ago. So I'm not sure they're going to come to an agreement before the season. Again, it's a lot of money, 15 million. If he hits the open market again and he's healthy, he's going to get paid whether the cap goes up or down or stays the same. I just don't think the number is going to be maybe as astronomically high as it could have been uh, three months ago. So are the, is he willing to now maybe play the, play the Patriots game and, and take, take an offer before he gets to the market that'll set him up long-term or, is he still looking at next off season and saying pandemic, no pandemic teams are going to have money. Teams are going to need linemen. I'm going to have a chance to be paid like the highest guard in the highest paid guard in the NFL. Let's jump on that. So I, it, it takes two to tango. I, I've heard people talk about, well, why haven't they got Tooney done? Why haven't they got Tooney done? Well, maybe Tooney doesn't want to get, maybe he doesn't want to get a deal done right now. He might like playing for the 15 million. So uh, it's a, it's interesting 
based on where the league is right now and where its financial situation is right now and where it's going, I think a lot of these guys that are scheduled to be up next year with, again, teams maybe looking at having less money than they had this year, I wonder if that impacts their demands at the negotiating table. Yeah, I think the conservative way-too-early prediction would be, as you said, Tooney bets on himself, plays out the season on the franchise tag, and then you just look at the history of the Patriots at the negotiating table, and you would think that this is the last year of this marriage, and then the Patriots, whether it's Froholt or someone else that they've drafted looking to step up and plug that spot over at left guard for Joe Tooney, but at least having him this year in conjunction with getting David Andrews back. And of course, we don't know who the injury bug is going to bite, but having a healthy offensive line that if it performs at the level it did at the end of 2018, both regular season and then throughout the playoffs, that will go a long way towards getting Sony Michelle to look like the player who in the 2018 postseason run to the Patriots' six Lombardi trophy ran for 4.7 yards per carry and six touchdowns and was a huge part of that offense being able to hold up its end of the bargain in the playoffs. Yeah, and again, yeah, and you mentioned it. You just got to, if you're a Patriots fan, hope that those guys stay healthy. Uh, you know, And to get back to that level that they were at at the end of 2018, can Isaiah Wynn have a Trent Brown kind of year? Can Marcus Cannon and Shaq Mason, who I think by their own admission weren't everything they wanted to be last year, can they get back to where they were at the end of 2018? So, and again, David Andrews just missed an entire year. So, I, like, I think we're looking at this and saying, well, David Andrews will just be David Andrews. And I, I think that's the hope. There's no doubt. But is that realistic? Does he suffer any after effects from missing an entire season? Is the fact that, you know, his body has been through everything that it went through with the blood clots and then having to be on medication to take care of the blood clots. And then, you know, you find out that you, okay, you can go and play now. Is he the same guy? I think that's a fair question to ask as well. Uh, I know he's, he's feeling a lot better now than he was say this time last year. So that's a positive sign. And I think that would indicate that, yeah, you can expect him to be something close to normal, but there are, there are questions there as talented as I think they are as as much as I think the success of this season rides on what they're able to do there's a lot of question marks I would say you know maybe four out of the five of those spots you're looking at guys and you're not a hundred percent sure what you're going to get and so that's obviously not what you're looking for and then you factor in that they don't have Dante Scarnecchia who that's a tough one I know they've got two guys in Carmen Brasillo and Cole Popovich that have been around and that understand what Scarnecchia did and they will be able to allow this team to have some consistency moving forward, which really that group didn't have. When Dante Scarnecchia left the first time around, Dave DeGuglielmo comes in and he's an outsider and it's a much different coaching style. And they won a Super Bowl that year. So it wasn't all bad, but it, that took some getting used to, I know for players. So maybe you won't have that quite to the same extent, but you lose the greatest, arguably the greatest assistant coach of all time in Dante Scarnecchia. I think that's going to, leave a mark at some point as well is that just early in the season when it comes to conditioning because he was such he was such a taskmaster when it comes to that part of it you know this time of year that was all he wanted to do with that they can't hit right OTAs mini camps no pads there's no hitting so what are the offensive line going to do 
uh, they're going to run and they're going to run until they can't run anymore. And so that's why they were so well conditioned. And that was Dante Skarnecchia. Can, can the guys that come in now being relatively new coaches and, and younger guys and not having the resume that Dante Skarnecchia had, can they get the same buy-in from the players, whether or not they run the same drills or they go through the whole same conditioning program? Does it have the same impact? Uh, I think, I think it should. They've got enough experience and they've got enough veterans on that line that they know how to get their work done. There's no doubt. But I wonder if we start to see at some point the Dante Scarnecchia impact be a um, be a tangible one at some point this season. It may just be early, but I, I think you don't lose a guy like that and and just continue to hum along as you have for so long. Yeah, I think we're going to notice the difference in that transition, especially in year one, going from Dante Scarnecchia, one of the greatest, like you said, just assistant coaches, period, of all time. Someone who, whether or not he gets into Canton is a different story, but certainly a Hall of Fame caliber coach who dedicated his life to the game. And I know the Patriots' backup plan at center behind David Andrews is far from a sexy topic, but if they need to address that question, it's going to become a hot topic real fast. And so what do you think the Patriots' plan is behind David Andrews? I wish I knew, Bobby. I wish I knew because it does matter. Uh, and this year especially, there are new rules. And not to get too deep into the weeds, but uh, you can have more players on your game day roster than you've had in the past. Uh, and some of that is due to allowing teams to have another offensive lineman in uniform as sort of an emergency player. So if you're the Patriots, you know, and we know they value versatility on the offensive line, so you're too – you know, reserves in any given week normally might be guys that can play both guard and tackle, or you might have a guy who can play guard and center and one who can play guard and tackle so that you're prepared for almost any situation. Well, now you have another body. Would you take a guy onto your game day roster who was a center only kind of player? Because it's just, a, it's a different position. There's a lot of responsibilities there. And I, I know somebody like Joe Tooney would be able to do it if asked. Uh, I think Shaq Mason might be able to do it if asked. I know he was considered by a lot of people to, to be a center when he was uh, leaving Georgia Tech and coming to the NFL, mostly because of his size. But I, but I think you know he has enough experience where he would know a lot of the calls as well. Or would you take somebody like a late-round pick and look at Dustin Woodard and say, he's our James Ferentz. He can't play guard. He can't play tackle for sure, but he's smart. And he's going to get all the practice reps at center that David Andrews doesn't get. And if David Andrews somehow gets hurt or, or doesn't make it through the season for whatever reason, we have a guy who is ready to go. I, I think he would be an interesting choice to be that sort of emergency option now that you have that option. Um, I wonder about, you know, and I, I know, um, you know, backup offensive line talk isn't necessarily the sexiest thing in the world, Bobby. So I don't want to go too long on this, but we're making it hot, Phil. Yelda Fro. Yelda Froholt, Yelda Froholt to me was somebody who had a disappointing camp last year, even before he got hurt. Uh, he just looked outmatched. And I don't know if he was hurt before we saw the bad injury and then he ends up going on IR. Uh, I don't know if it's just a little bit, you know, slow to get used to things. And it was just a rookie camp, which it, it could have been. But he looked he looked overmatched at times. And so I think people look at where he was drafted and they say, well, that's, you know, that guy should have a roster spot and he should you know, maybe he is the backup guard slash center and, you know, you could use him in a bunch of different ways. Maybe he's the next Dan Connolly and maybe he is. Uh, but he is somebody that I think really has to has to show something 
in training camp whenever that happens because it's not easy to miss an entire season A and then B in the, the little bit that we did see of you, it looked like you didn't belong really. You know, so I, I think he, he has a, he has a ways to go. Um, and I, again, based on the draft capital, you know, that's a guy that I'm sure the Patriots would like to have on the roster, but it also won't kill them to not have him on the roster. I mean, they parted ways with Duke Dawson, a second round pick going into his second year because they knew he just, he, he wasn't going to have a role and they had some depth there and at defensive back and they couldn't get anybody to bite. But like, I could, I, I could see Yelda Froholt not being on this team. Uh, and I could see your backups being, oh uh, man, I don't want to totally screw this up, but maybe it is Woodard and maybe it is um, big Mike on Wayno from Michigan. And maybe it's Jermaine Illuminor, who they obviously traded to, to get last year, or Corey Cunningham, who they traded to get last year. And, and you know, I think they liked what they saw to a certain extent from those guys in the, the, the practice time that they saw those guys. So um, that if you, are, if you are one of those people who loves to get all hot and bothered over backup offensive line talk, you're going to be able to do a lot of that this this summer whenever we get to see these guys again because i think there are a fair number of questions there yeah and a lot of them are young guys who are going to be or at least have an opportunity to be an important part of this team's future and some of them you talk about someone like froholt as a a great example of a player who it could go in a a great direction where he trends towards being the clear-cut replacement for joe tooney or perhaps he plays his way off the roster this year so, so we'll see how things come together. And Yanni Conjuiced. We didn't even mention Yanni Conjuiced. Yanni Conjuiced. I, I mean, that's another guy. I, I do. I would say, and I did a 53-man roster projection, like a ridiculously early one, about a month or so ago, and he was on there. So I think you know, a third-round pick, like you'd like to see that guy make the team. He's got plenty of physical talent. Fourth-round guy coming back off injury, had a tough camp last year. Like, like Yelda Froholt has some has some real work to do. Yeah, Froholt has a lot of work to do. Kajust, raw, but he's another guy, Phil, like I'm over on Nikhil Harry Island. I also have real estate on Yadni Kajust. It's just a hill, but we're looking to grow this thing out and really make it more of a, a luxury metropolitan area. But we're starting small. I think he can be the heir apparent to Marcus Cannon in time. So we'll see what happens with Yadni. And looking to a more sexy spot, going back to the skilled positions, Mohamed Sanu comes over. He gets hurt quickly, returning a punt against Philadelphia. And so he goes from having this real impactful game against Baltimore. I believe he had 10 catches as they went up-tempo to try and catch up to the Ravens. And all of a sudden, he was not much of a factor. And a lot of the time, it was him catching third-down passes short of the sticks that caused people you know, ripping their hair out. What do you see from Mohamed Sanu if he's healthy? He doesn't have Tom Brady, but he has had more time to learn the offense. He was so hurt that it's hard to gauge anything from what we saw from him last year. You know, high ankle sprain is significant, especially for a receiver. We know that. Um, and I think it I think it says a lot in terms of the lack of trust Brady had and his other options that Mohamed Sanu got as many opportunities as he did get and in critical spots. I mean, you're, we're thinking about, you know, some of the plays over the middle fourth and one in Houston and uh, you know, the, the missed block um, with the keel Harry at home, catching a little swing pass at the line of scrimmage on another critical play. And he just couldn't move like it. So 
I have a hard time holding that against him. At the same time, Bobby, it's a young offense. It's a team in dire need of cap space just to operate during the year. It's a team that I think has some promising young players. Like, I like Jacoby Myers. I like Nikhil Harry. Um, you know, I like Will Hastings. Does Will Hastings get a roster spot at, at somehow here? Mohamed Sanu is making $6.5 million to be their number three receiver, essentially, in my opinion. Again, if Julian Agreed. Edwin gets hurt or whatever, right, he moves up. But he's your number three right now, and he's making six and a half. And not and again, yeah, you're number three in 11 personnel, which is what most of the league runs most of the time. That's essentially a starting player. You just drafted two tight ends. You have a tight end who can play fullback. You dra- you assigned another fullback that I think is – he's no nowhere close to a lock to make the roster, but he has some physical talent that I would that I would be willing to put on my 53-man roster. If it's going to be a more tight end heavy, more back heavy kind of offense, how much do you really need to be paying your number three receiver when you have no cap space? Uh, like that's how I look at it. And if I'm the Patriots, he is the first guy I'm trying to trade as soon as he shows anything in camp or anything in a preseason game. He might end up being one of my my last cuts, depending on what the injury situation is. I just look at it, and I want the Patriots to have a competitive year. That's good for business. That's good for us. I grew up here. I want them to do well. I just don't know. If you're not really a Super Bowl contending team and you're paying a receiver in his 30s a fair amount of money to be your number three guy, I I I don't see the value. So to me, I, I guess I would have him on the team. Uh, it's not like a roster that is necessarily overloaded with NFL quality players. So it's not like one of these years where we've looked at the 53 and we said, man, how do you find spots for all these guys, all these great players? You're going to have to cut somebody. He's going to get picked up right away. Yeah, I agree with that. Jeff Thomas, another undrafted free agent who's going to be pushing for a roster spot. That's someone who I anticipate making the team Phil talking about another guy there and Will Hastings, who's going to be pushing for a roster spot who has a past relationship with Jared Stidham from their time together at Auburn. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Sanu. My personal take is that it's just surprising that they didn't restructure Sanu's contract. I don't think he had much capital in terms of a, a trade. And so you start to wonder what the deal is with Mohamed Sanu and it just feels so late in the game to be get, getting rid of him, but perhaps in training camp slash the preseason, an opportunity arises for them to move Sanu and find, find a way to address another one of their needs in doing so. What I'm going to lead into next is the curious case of Rex Burkhead, who, like Joe Tooney, it wasn't clear if he would be on the team. Tooney, we certainly didn't expect, would get the franchise tag. That was a move that seemingly came out of nowhere. And with Rex Burkhead, he was another opportunity for the Patriots to carve out more cap space. He was an opportunity to allow Damian Harris to move up the depth chart without having to really earn it, but without being thrown into the fire. And now Burkhead will see if he sticks around, if he's another guy that the Patriots end up parting with before the start of the season. And if they don't, I'm curious to see what that means for Damian Harris. And if he spends another season, granted he's going to be competing with Sony Michelle and maybe even shows the Patriots that he's worthy of that lead role at the running back position. It's going to be curious to see if it doesn't go that way for Damian Harris, what another season mostly standing still on the sidelines would mean for his development and whether or not it would stunt his growth as a football player. 
So, Phil, I don't know how much you were able to hear of that, but let's just start here with the first half of the, the message I was delivering, and that is Rex Burkhead, like Joe Tooney, it was surprising that he's still here, at least as of now. Do you think that will be the case come week one of the regular season? I do. I'm sorry, Bobby, about all the technical difficulties. I, um, you know, I think it was like karma. I started talking I start, started talking badly about Mohamed Sanu, and it was like the receiver gods, they wanted me to have terrible hands in that moment. I literally just dropped my phone and lost you. Like, I'm 95 years old, so I apologize for that. I do think that Rex Burkhead will be on the roster. The Patriots love them some Rex Burkhead. Yes, they do, especially I, Bill. I like Rex Burkhead. He, Bill, Bill likes himself some Rex Burkhead, and I see why, right? Like, that's somebody that gives you – true versatility at that position. And I think that was the the thinking with drafting Sony Michelle in the first round a few years ago. Uh, it wasn't like he was an Alvin Kamara coming out, but he had experience catching the football at Georgia and making plays with the ball in his hands. He obviously has not come through in that part of the game. I said uh, after his rookie year that he was the most predictable player in pro football, and he was by the numbers. There were fullbacks in the league that had played significant snaps that were on the field for more passing downs, more passing plays than Sony Michelle was. There were number two tight ends. There were anybody that had played. And I, I forget what the, the, the point of entry that I sort of used for the story when I wrote the story, but it was essentially, if you were an offensive player and you had more than a couple hundred snaps under your belt in 2018, there wasn't a player ahead of Sony Michelle when it came to, run pass splits he just was not on the field for passing plays and it was a little bit better in his second year but it wasn't much better and so with Rex Burkhead you have the ability to put a little bit of doubt into the minds of defenses and I don't know Bobby how much they're going to be able to change on the fly with Jared Stidham behind center I think if they could it would make life a lot easier for Stidham in theory that sounds complicated well we're going to line up in 21 personnel I formation, but it's going to be Dalton Keene as the fullback and Rex Burkhead as the tailback. You can, from that formation, which looks like a run-heavy formation, all of a sudden send everybody wide. And you have maybe Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene in the slot, and you have Rex Burkhead wide, and you have Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry, and all of a sudden you're in the shotgun, and you're thrown against base personnel. That's a great way to make life easy for an inexperienced quarterback. Now, can he toggle back and forth between those kinds of looks? We'll see. But with somebody like Rex Burkhead, you can do that. And you can be a threat both ways. With Sony Michelle, you're really not. He's not, you know, you might as well put James Devlin out wide. You know, you have, James Devlin was better in the passing game than Sony Michelle is, I might argue. Um, but, you know, James White, I think you can still do that with a little bit, even though he's clearly not a between-the-tackles runner, per se. He can do it. And I would say James White's more effective between the tackles and Tony Michelle is in the passing game. So I think Rex Burkhead has a spot on the roster. I think what he brings to them is pretty valuable. They love the special teams value as well that he gives them. Uh, he's on a lot of their, you know, coverage units. So I think he's going to be on the team. I think they, they like him uh, for a lot of different reasons. They love the character. I think they love what he brings to the locker room. So I would anticipate he's around. Uh, and I think that that running back room, I think, will look very similar to the way it did last year. It seemed to me, at least, like the Patriots made a decision to go with Bo Allen over Danny Shelton. When you look at the contracts being fairly similar, are you surprised by that choice that they didn't bring Shelton back? 
And how confident are you in Bo Allen's ability to two-gap? I am surprised. I am surprised because I think they value Danny Shelton. I think Danny Shelton showed up last summer to Patriots camp and um, and won the job handily. Like Mike Pennell, it felt like never had a chance almost. And, and Pennell was the guy that I thought was going to end up being their starting nose tackle in 2019. So to show what he showed, maybe they were just anticipating that he would get more on the open market. Um, you know, I think there, that's obviously a part of it. You can't re-sign everybody. Um, and then, you know, to bring in Bo Allen, it's pretty clear to me that you're hoping that that's just – that's the replacement and you got, you can figure it out that way. I think he can two-gap. I think he's – you know, it's interesting. He's He's been in some different systems, so he has experience doing some different things. It's just the size, Bobby, that's so rare. You know, like Danny Shelton really didn't two-gap before he came to New England. And it wasn't a great first year for him, no doubt. Uh, but the second year was tremendous. And the end of the first year was really good. He had a really good Super Bowl against a good Rams running game. Uh, and so when you have good size and good athleticism and you're, you're open to learning the techniques, I think that's really the key. I think what's hard for some of these guys, like Shelton, first-round pick, big numbers, right, at Washington – Malcolm Brown, I talked to, to about this with Malcolm Brown a lot when he was coming out of Texas. Comes to the Patriots. They want me to two-gap? Huh? So I can't, you know, I can't get after the passer anymore. He was sacking quarterbacks at Texas. And now you're telling him that basically he's a space eater and that you want him to just hunker down and and take on as many blockers as he can and not, not lose. So I, I think it's demoralizing to guys at times to be able to make that shift. Um and, and for some guys, it's just hard. And, like, physically, it's not a good fit. You know, I think Chris Long would tell you that. You know, like, for him, a, a two-gapping style defense, it wasn't for him. He, he had done one thing his whole career. He wanted to get up the field. He wasn't – he was built more like a, a traditional, you know, 4-3 end than – in a, a one-gapping sort of scheme than somebody that's going to be able to take on multiple blockers. Like, so I get it there. But if you're 330 pounds, it's it's about want to really like you, you got long arms, you got good size. You can be taught to two gap. And so if Bo Allen has any any qualms about that kind of role, um, and I don't think he will based on what we know about him and what I've heard about him character wise and personality wise, um, you know, and again, he's 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 done it in certain places. So I don't think that'll be an issue. But I think Danny Shelton was a good player. And once he embraced that role, like he, he could really be a force. So you see why he got drafted in the first round, even if he's asked to be, to be a two gapper first and foremost, like he had some really nice sort of splash plays for them. Um, but I, I think Bo Allen can give them something similar. Glad to hear your vote of confidence on that one. Cause to me, that's another one of those angles that isn't particularly juicy, but it's going to be a huge part of how effective this Patriots defense is, especially the front seven as a collective and then staying within the front seven, is there a particular player? I know you've done a lot of great work on the rookie class as a whole. And so of course, looking at Anthony Jennings and Josh Uche and people familiar with them, is there a particular player who you anticipate playing the most snaps at edge defender across from John Simon? I think right now my guess would be Chase would be Chase Winovich, honestly, uh, in part because he's just been around in part because I think 
he obviously played a specific role last year as a sub rusher. Uh, and he is not a huge guy. He's right at 250 pounds. But he played the run well at Michigan. He's tough. He's He is upper body strong. I think the biggest thing for Chase Winovich, honestly, this year, from talking to people that um, are familiar with him, are familiar with the Patriots scheme, the biggest thing for him this offseason was, was he able to add a little bit of mass to his legs? Because he is a really good athlete, and it helps – you know, it gets him on the, it gets him in the kicking game. Um, it helps him get up the field. It helps him elude to, uh, his blockers when he is in the, for those sub situations. So he's a quick guy. He moves well for his size. But part of the reason he moves so well is because he's. It looks like he's pretty light. Like his lower half is pretty light. And I think if he's going to be more of an every down guy, if he's going to slide into that Kyle Van Noy kind of role, he's got to be able to hold up against the run. And I don't know if he's heavy enough to hold up against the run or if he's just strong enough. His lower body is strong enough to hold up against the run. Again, he did it in Michigan. Uh, obviously, it's good competition there. It's not a question of, you know, does he want to or does he know how to? I think it's just physically, can he hold up? So maybe he added a little bit of strength. And if he did, I would trust him doing that off the bat. I think somebody like Josh Uche, to me, is a better fit actually for off the line of scrimmage. I know you can put him on in sub situations, maybe use him like you did Winovich last year, but he was really good at Michigan in terms of his ability as a blitzer. He was, he won a lot on the edge, but he won a lot against guards and centers and just getting small, getting skinny, getting between gaps, timing his blitzes. He was good in coverage. So he, he is ideal to me as like a Jamie Collins kind of role. Collins a bigger guy, but I think neither guy is really somebody you want fighting tooth and nail at the point of attack against the running game. I think Collins got exposed a little bit at the end of last year, really from the middle of the season on in terms of his abilities as a run defender. And I, I don't think Josh Uche, I don't think anybody has any illusions about Josh Uche being a run stuffing linebacker uh, at the next level. But what both those guys do well is what they do against the pass and they are multifaceted against the pass. They can blitz. They can run games and stunts. They're quick enough. They're very fluid athletes. They move really well, and they're both good. They're both capable in coverage. And so, you know, we'll see from Josh Uche, but I see him being, you know, more of, of that kind of role than like a true end of the line of scrimmage guy. And then you mentioned Jennings, Anthony Jennings. I see him as, as sort of a Simon type in that he is big enough um, to hold up against the point of attack. I don't know how often you want him dropping into coverage. Uh, John Simon could do it a little bit, uh, but John Simon to me is more, he, if these guys are all tweeners to a certain extent, and that's why they have value to the Patriots, I see John Simon as as like the 3-4 outside linebacker slash 4-3 defensive end, you know, true edge guy who you don't necessarily want going backwards all that much. And I see Jennings be, being more of that than somebody like Uche, who is more 3-4 outside linebacker slash off-the-ball linebacker, who's a little bit better in space. So they've got a lot of versatile you know, versatile pieces there that they'll be able to mix and match. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to to watch. I, like, I'm going to be watching Bill Murray from William & Mary. I think a guy would have got drafted from what I've been told. Like, he's a good athlete. He's explosive. He would have put up really good numbers at his pro day. 
he's just like a super high motor guy, um, which we know the Patriots like, and that doesn't necessarily always win at the next level. But I'm I'm waiting to see like can he be a three four end type? Can he help spell Adam Butler or Lawrence Guy? Can he work into that rotation? Because to me, Bobby, they're pretty light. You know, we just talked about Bo Allen. They don't have a backup nose tackle. Like they they just don't. So like if he if Bo Allen gets hurt, what do they do? Do they go you know they go sign Ted Washington somewhere like off the scrap? Like there's just there aren't that many of those guys. And so I get that you don't necessarily have three or four on your roster, but if they ever lost Lawrence guy, you know, God forbid they would be up a Creek defensive line wise, because he does everything. He plays a ton of snaps and they just don't have a ton of depth there. So that's that defensive line area. Those guys that are, you know, the 300 to 330 pound guys. Um, I think they could use another one and maybe, maybe Bill Murray's that guy, but they, they look a little light there to me. He's another guy, like you said, so there's an opportunity here. I would be surprised if the Patriots streak of an undrafted free agent making the 53 comes to an end. When you look at Jeff Thomas and Hastings on the offensive side of the ball, Bill Murray, a really interesting candidate defensively. They're certainly light there. And that's another one of those topics that isn't getting a lot of attention is what's behind Shelton, Guy, and Butler, and how do they maneuver if any one of them goes down, especially the man in the middle, Bo Allen. And so, Phil, now that we've combed through a good chunk of the roster here, look, the obvious caveats apply to this question. You talked about it being too early to really project the 53-man roster. Well, it's early June, and I know I'm asking you, do you th- what do you think of the Patriots' playoff chances? But do you feel like they have enough to be able to compete, especially with so many young players and so many key positions, to potentially be even good enough to defend their AFC East crown and hold off Buffalo. I think they do. I like there's to me, and I say that pretty quickly and pretty definitively, like they have a chance to win the division. I think it says a lot about the division right now, to be quite honest with you. Like this is, I think they're getting better. And I think Buffalo has a good roster. Buffalo has one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL starting for them week in, week out. That's who that's who Josh Allen is. And that's a pretty important issue to have on your team. So I'm not looking at them as as I mean, listen, I'll call them the favorite, but they are by no means a lock to win this division. So the Patriots are, are certainly in play here. The Jets are so bad offensively. I actually I like Sam Darnold. I just don't think there's enough around him to allow him to succeed. Uh, but defensively, they're going to win games because of that defense. They won seven games last year with Sam Darnold getting mono and playing Luke Falk, you know, for a handful of weeks there. Like, that's impressive to me. So I think the Jets, you know, could be a little bit better. The Dolphins, I think, will be better. So I think you're going to have four teams there that are going to be really competitive. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say any of these teams are out of the mix right now, including the Patriots. And I would put them second behind the Bills right now. But they have a shot to go. I think they have. They definitely have a chance to win nine games, and I think that could win the division this year. Well, I do. I think they have a chance to win ten or eleven. I'm not willing to go there right now, but I I would never rule them out of winning nine. And I think with the coaching that they have, they just have such a built-in advantage, Bobby. That if Stidham ends up being able to play, if Stidham can be Kirk Cousins, and 
to me, like I say that, and a lot of people might say, well, you're crazy. Like Kirk Cousins. I don't think Kirk Cousins is that good. I think he's, I think he's okay. Agreed. I think he's okay. I think he works in a really good scheme. It is a good running game and they had a smart coaching staff there and that staff has moved to Cleveland and they're going to see if that same scheme can work with Baker Mayfield. But if Jared Stidham can be that kind of guy, they're going to have some success offensively. They're not going to have to play in the teens every single week. I think people are afraid of that happening. I think he's good enough, and I think the coaching is good enough that that's not necessarily going to be the case. I think they have a chance to be a middle-tier offense in the NFL, which is essentially what they were last year. And I think they have a chance to be a very good defense. And I think that could add up to nine wins. If it was nine and a half, are you asking me to take the over or the under? I'd probably still take the under there. But I think nine wins is good enough uh, in this division. And so I would say they're certainly – in the mix. I'm not calling them a lock, Bobby, but they, they've got a shot. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And even if they don't make the playoffs, Jared Stidham could still validate that he's worth moving forward with as a potential franchise quarterback. And that's the biggest storyline, even more so than whether or not they get back to the postseason. So it'll be really interesting to see what Jared Stidham does in year one and what he shows them and proves capable of. It's crazy to me that a lot of people have latched on to that pick six against the Jets and used that as their impression of Stidham and where he's at. I think that's really misleading. And talk about small sample size, it's one play, so it's not particularly fair. But I do think that Stidham is someone who can show in year one, even with everything going on, and you look at him leading workouts right now, that, that he can be the guy for this team. And if they hit on that, and they might not have as much cap space as they once projected to next offseason when we were talking about around $100 million, but if they can fill in the pieces and some of these young guys take steps forward this season, him in particular, then I think the Patriots could really rebuild this thing and get back to contending pretty quickly. It's unfortunate that we lost Phil there just as we were about to wrap up. But listen, you guys all know Phil. He's one of the best in the business. His Twitter handle is at Phil A. Perry. I can't imagine you're not following him yet. But if you are, you should be, and you should remedy that immediately. You can catch him every night on NBC Sports Boston. And this is normally the spot where I plug the next episode. Taylor and I have an announcement that we're pretty excited about that we're going to make on social media together. So be sure to follow us. His handle is at tkyles39. That's Kyles with a Y. Mine is at Bobby Kravitsky. The last name is spelled K-R-I. V is in Victor. I-T-S-K-Y. And you can find Patriots Perspective on all streaming services. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. It's on it. It's free to subscribe. And it makes a big difference for Taylor and me. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Stay safe. Be considerate. And have a great week.